Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. I can't remember when such a small amount of winter weather caused so great a disruption as it has this week. Um, we had a few errands to take care of on Monday as the slush was falling from the sky. You know, it wasn't really snow. It wasn't really rain. It was, uh, it was like somebody had just taken a giant snow cone and just dumped it out. It was just, it was just ice. And I was a little concerned about our hill freezing over. And so I was prepared to kind of be stuck at home for a couple of days. And as I was coming up the hill to our house, getting ready to kind of be stuck there, there was a young man uh, further down our street in his front yard, and he, and he had a sled in hand. And I've never seen just such a look of disappointment than this kid who was, who was in his front yard with a sled looking at whatever this substance was that was on the ground. And he was trying to sled, but there was nothing to sled on. I mean, it was just such a, such a sad, sad situation. I'm pretty sure he's not the only disappointed kid, though, in our area. I imagine there were a lot of kids who uh, were hoping for snow. And man, to be stuck at home for snow days without any snow, that's like going to a water park without any water. It's like, man, I, I'm here, but it does me absolutely no good whatsoever. I know we had a little bit of ice to contend with. I think I've still got some ice on my front steps. This week, Ridgeland High School posted a video of, on their social media of um, security camera footage of one of their assistant principals. And I'm not going to show it because I don't know the man, and so I, I want to try to respect him even though I don't know him. Um, but Ridgeland didn't really respect him by posting the video. He's walking across his front porch, and he's on a mission. He hits the front steps, and he was launched into the ground. I mean, it looked like he was shot from a catapult to the ground. And I don't know how a human being can hit the ground so quick because there's this thing called terminal velocity where you can't fall faster than you can fall, but that man surpassed that. And no sooner than he hit the ground, y'all, I'm not kidding, the man jumped up like a gymnast who had just stuck a landing off the vault. I mean, he was, he was up on his feet in, in record time and then moving quickly to the car like nothing happened. Um, it was impressive. I mean, I don't know how in the world he managed to get up so quickly. But you know what? I found there's actually two fall responses we have, uh, as long as you're not hurt too bad. Like, like one fall response is the, what I call the systems check response. That's when you fall and you got to kind of lay there for a minute and check out everything. Like you're running through a self-diagnostic, making sure there's no internal damage, uh, no disfigured limbs, etc. Um, I had an accident a couple years ago, and I won't go into the details, but I'll just give you the, the big idea and, and, and let you fill in the blanks. I rode my little Forrest Gump lawnmower backwards down a really steep hill. How I got there was a combination of stupidity and physics, and those two things don't often go well together. And as I'm going down the hill, y'all, I'm not making this up, the lawnmower like I knew that I needed to keep my center of gravity forward to keep the wheels on the ground and it didn't work. And so the lawnmower came over backwards and I go with it. And so thankfully as a Forrest Gump lawnmower and not one of those like ZTR things because I was able to, to like hold it as I fall. But I lay there on the ground, lawnmower to the side, still running by the way. That was a systems check fall. I had to lay there for a second 
and make sure that everything was all right. Thankfully, it was, and the lawnmower survived. I still use my Forrest Gump lawnmower, so Craftsman lawnmowers are top-notch. It survived something catastrophic. Systems check fall. Had to make sure everything was okay. I survived it. I was about six inches away from dying, but I survived it. <clears throat> the other response is the pretend it never happened response. And, and this is the one where you get up quickly, make sure nobody's watching, and dust off everything as you walk and try to get away. You may have internal bleeding, you may have broken bones, you may have a concussion, but you want to get, get away from there as quickly as possible. You wanna get away from the scene of the crime and make sure that nobody saw you. That's what that video on the front steps was. That was a get away from the scene of the crime video. It was a, I'm gonna get up and move away and hopefully nobody saw it. Unfortunately, there's cameras everywhere and... I know our young people know this. There's entire, there's hours and hours and hours of videos on the internet of nothing more than people falling. And you laugh at it more than you should. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I don't know <clears throat> anyone that would stay on the ground after a fall as long as they were physically able to get up. Um, and again, if you saw somebody fall and they just laid there, you would probably think something's wrong. I need to go help this person. I need to go check on this person. I need to make sure that they're okay. Uh, this picture of falling is what the prophet Jeremiah asks us to consider today. Now he's challenging the people of Judah, but they're not listening. They don't care what he has to say but he is trying to get through their thick heads to help them understand their problems. Their deaf ignorance, though, is filled with valuable spiritual insights for us today. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna be in Jeremiah chapter eight today, beginning in verse four. If you're able, you haven't fallen, I would ask you to stand with me as I read these words from Jeremiah chapter eight, beginning there in verse four. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, when men fall... Do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I've paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, what have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove and the swallow and the crane Keep the time of their coming, but my people do not know the rules of the Lord. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine or figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. So what I gave them is passed away from them. 
Why do we sit still? Gather together. Let us go into the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and has given us poisoned water to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came for a time of healing, but behold, terror. The snorting of their horses is heard from Dan. At the sound of the neighing of their stallions, the whole land quakes. They come and devour the land and all that fills it and the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I'm sending you among serpents, adders that cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, declares the Lord. Father, I thank you for difficult words. And I thank you for the people of Judah that we can learn from their mistakes, God. I pray that we as God's people today separated so far from these passages, God, that we would understand them correctly and walk faithfully in your ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You be seated. You know, it's very difficult for us to tell as we read chapter eight here, whether or not this is still part of, of Jeremiah's temple sermon. Or if we've just moved on to some more preaching without the specific context uh, beyond what we know about his ministry. Honestly, that's part of what makes the book of Jeremiah so appropriate for us today because it's so often hard to identify specific context. Without that specific context, the warnings and application of the text are far broader for us. And so what we find in this text today are three warnings that I want us to pay very, very close attention to. The first warning is what we will call willful folly. It's there in verses four through six. The first warning here zeroes in on the picture of falling. And what Jeremiah says, it doesn't make sense for someone who falls to stay on the ground if they're not hurt. Because you only stay on the ground if you can't get up. It's not like you get to the ground and you think, you know, I kind of like being here on the ground. I think I'll hang out here for, oh, I don't know, the rest of my life. Even the poor lady in the Life Alert commercial says, I've fallen, I can't get up. She doesn't want to stay on the ground. She wants to not be fallen. She wants to be able to get up. She doesn't want to stay there. So obviously, Jeremiah is using the picture of falling as an object lesson to convey spiritual truth. As we discussed over the course of this series, the people of Judah have have turned their back on the Lord. They've started going in the wrong direction, but they're continuing to move in the wrong direction. They've not been willing to stop and go the right direction. When we talk about repentance, though, this is what we're saying. Stop going the wrong direction, turn around and go the right direction. You guys, hold on. I've got a frog fighting me today. So Jeremiah uses a term here that we don't talk about much anymore. But I'll say this. It might do us some good if preachers would begin to talk more about it. He says that they are in a state of perpetual backsliding. Perpetual backsliding. What does that mean? Yeah, I think one of the best examples of backsliding today is what happens when you and your GPS aren't in agreement on the best plan. Uh, GPS or your Waze or your Google Maps, whatever it is that you're using. Um, Because when you plug in a destination, it generates a route and it wants you to go in a particular route. And man, they're smart now. They adjust based on traffic and all those sort of things. It's got a pathway in mind. And... I know men, you never do this, but you don't like the option that the GPS gives you because you're smarter than the GPS. And so it wants you to go this way. You say, you know what, I'm gonna go this way. 
And, and I don't know if you've ever had the experience before where, where you have willfully disregarded the will of the GPS and the GPS keeps trying to get you to get back to its pathway. Make a U-turn. You know, might turn around in this neighborhood. Make this cul-de-sac. Go to this, uh, this traffic circle. Whatever it is, it wants you to go in a different direction than the direction you're choosing and get back on the right path. Eventually, there comes a point in the GPS where it capitulates to your will and it recalculates based on your new location. And that's what every man is trying to get to. That's like a point of conquest. Like when you have gotten to this place to where the GPS says, your master, I surrender, I will, I will comply. I will take you from your harebrained destination to, from your harebrained location to the new destination that you're looking for. When it comes to the things of God, though, we need to understand this. God doesn't capitulate to your will. It doesn't matter how far you drive off the course, there's not gonna come a point to where God says, you know what? You know better than me. Let me recapitulate and, and, and recalculate and, and let you go your own way, but, but that's not how it works. God may let you go your own way, but it's not because he recalculated, it's because he lets you go your own way. And the longer you go away from the path that is established, that just means you've gotten further and further away from his best. Not that your way is better, you're just, you just keep moving further and further away from the way that God wants for you to go. The point is, is that there is a willing rejection of God's best and an attempt to substitute your own will. That's what we would say is backsliding. But this is more than just a one-off. We have these one-off, I mean, how many of us have had a bad day before? And we stumble during that bad day. We make some mistakes. We, we have some hard conversations. We let things slip that we, we knew we shouldn't have let slip. We let anger get the best of us. And, and we spend some time with the Lord when we go home at night. And by the time we go to bed, everything's on the right course again. We've, we've dealt with those sin issues. We've sought forgiveness where we need it. We've done the right thing and we lay our head down on our pillow at night with a clean conscience because we settled all the things that were disrupted during the day. That's not backsliding. Backsliding is a pattern. And it's almost always a pattern that you can go back and clearly identify when and where it started. And Jeremiah's question hangs over us. Why would you fall and not get up? Why would you hold fast to deceit and not return? You know you're going the wrong way. So why do you keep going the wrong way? You know that destination is not what God wants for you. So why do you keep doing that? Why would you not look at your actions and evaluate yourself and say, what have I done? Everyone turns to his own course, Jeremiah says, like a horse plunging headlong into a battle. And the image here is of a horse who's got his blinders on, who's charging into the fray with no regard to what the right path is. That's the image of the backslider. And as Christians, we need to recognize this in our lives because backsliding is real. Now, I'm not talking about losing salvation, apostasy, rejecting the faith. I'm talking about those times and seasons where we begin the drift. I know I should be here, but I'm really just gonna hang out here for a while. I know this is what God wants for me, but I'm really just gonna waller around here for a, a season. And Jeremiah's questioning of the spiritual malaise shows us what he thinks about it. It's foolish to fall and keep laying on the ground. 
It's foolish to know the right thing to do and continue doing the wrong thing. It's foolish to do that. And I think one of the things that we need to remember, I have to tell you this, not because I wanna pick on you, but because I love you, it isn't always personal sin that leads us to make this fall. Now, sometimes it is. As a matter of fact, I would even go so far as to say most of the time we stumble into backsliding because of our own sin issues that are unresolved. But sometimes we can simply be bystanders of things that are beyond our control that cause us to start this backwards drift. I think of things like grief. Grief can be an absolutely paralyzing situation to experience. But I think one thing we need to understand about grief is if you live long enough in this world, you're gonna experience it. All of us are going to experience it. And sadly, there's too many Christians who have their faithful walk with Christ zapped because of unresolved grief. Another big one is when we are sinned against, when we are the victims of another person or institution's sin. That happens. Sin is real, and it's not just when we commit sin. Sometimes we are the victims of sin. Sometimes sinners sin against us. Sometimes organizations, institutions, churches sin against people, and it happens. It's the reality of living in a fallen world. That happens to lots of people, lots of times. We didn't willingly go out and set out against God's purposes, but someone or something hurt us. A family member hurt us. Someone we respected or looked up to failed us. Too many people today slip into backsliding because of church hurts. That's when the church does something dumb and it catches semi-innocent bystanders in the crossfire. Listen, churches do dumb things all the time. Give us time, we'll get there. Churches do dumb things, why? Because sinners are in charge of it. And, and we don't always listen to Jesus like we should. Listen, I'm, I'm supposed to be here and open this and tell you this is what God says. And I'll tell you this, I'm a sinner and I'm gonna mess up. I promise you, it's a guarantee, 100% guarantee along the way. There's gonna be mistakes that are made. There's gonna be things that are wrong. And again, I don't wanna belittle these circumstances. I don't wanna belittle grief or, or being a victim of sin. I don't wanna belittle those things at all. But I can't help but wonder how long those circumstances can be used to justify pitiful Christian walk. I acknowledge they're real, but how long can we allow those things to justify our own inability to thrive in our walk with Christ? Sure, we recognize how our emotional response to being sinned against causes us to struggle for a, reason, for a season. But hear me in this. At some point in time, we have to take responsibility for our own faith and not allow our faith to be dictated by circumstances that are beyond our control. We have to do that. Uh, you know, get to heaven, Lord says, why'd you, why'd you have such an apathetic Christian life? Well, you know, 30 years ago, I, I got my feelings hurt. Well, that's terrible that your feelings got hurt, but 30 years passed? 30 years passed and, and you weren't able to move beyond those hurt feelings? Again, not to belittle hurt feelings, they're real, but at what point do hurt feelings no longer justify apathy in our Christian walk? When does that happen? At some point, we have to take responsibility. When we think about this as Christians, the truth is there may be a thousand catalysts for us to begin drifting, 
both personal sin and being sinned against. But the symptoms of drifting are almost always universal. The symptoms of drifting is this. We put space between us and the stuff of God. We put space between us and the stuff of God. What do I mean? We put space between us as his, and his word. We, we start to see that our, our devotional life begins to suffer. I'm not spending time in the word daily. I'm not having those, those times of those quiet times. We put space between us and his people. I don't want to be around the other Christians. I don't want to be around my Sunday school class. I don't want to be around the church gathered for worship because, because of the way it makes me feel. And that's us putting distance between ourselves and the stuff of God. And guess what? The more distance we create between us and the stuff of God, the more likely it is that we're just going to stay on the ground when we fall because it's more, we're, we're, we're for some reason comfortable there. They're not selling a lot of life alerts if the lady pushes the button and says, I've fallen and I kind of like it down here. You ain't moving any of those things now, are we? Second warning, willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. Verse seven says, even the stork in the heavens knows her times and the turtle dove, swallow and crane keep the time of their coming, but my people know not the rules of the Lord. Jeremiah points out something that's probably intended to sting a little. The birds have enough sense to know what they're supposed to do. And listen, I've not been super impressed with the intelligence level of birds. I get the birds that can talk to you, um, but they learn swear words. And so that tells me even those birds aren't very intelligent because they can't differentiate between bad words and good words. And so I'm not impressed with the sense of a bird. We lived on a lake when we used to live and geese would come into the yard all the time. And man, geese are just stupid. I mean, they're just dumb creatures. Uh, I mean, you go out and <clears throat> we'd shoot at the geese and I mean, trying to get the geese to go away and the geese wouldn't go away. They just kept coming back. And I'm thinking, man, these things are, are just dumb birds. But even the geese had enough sense to know it's time to fly to a different destination. It's time to go wherever they go in the spring or wherever they go in the winter. It's time to make those moves. Jeremiah is telling us that the birds have enough sense to know what they're supposed to do. Jeremiah looked up and he saw that the birds were, were migrating when they were supposed to migrate. And he looked and he said, you know what? All the birds are going that direction. You don't have this one bird who's like, you know, I don't wanna go where they're going. I'm gonna go this way. All the birds go in the right direction. They go where they're supposed to go. They're doing what they're designed by their creator to do. They didn't violate that. Not so with Jeremiah's audience. They didn't know the decrees of God. They didn't know the rules. But there was no reason for their ignorance. The law was written. It wasn't secret. It wasn't hidden knowledge. It really just boiled down to willful ignorance. Jeremiah lived in what we would call a biblically illiterate culture. Well, here we are. We find ourselves in 2024. More information is changed and exchanged than any time or generation in our past. You can find the answer to just about any question that humans have answered in a matter of about 30 seconds of, of searching something online. Preachers today have to deal with the fact that people fact check them while they talk now. And so if I say something that's not a personal story, people are Googling it to make sure that it's true what I've, what I've said. You know, if I, if I quote something, people look up to quote. 
Well, that's not who said that. I mean, hopefully preachers aren't lying like that. But fact checks are real. We have more information being shared. And in spite of the vast amount of information that we have at our disposal, our level of engagement with the word of God is shockingly low. In the 2023 State of the Bible Report, there is such a thing called the State of the Bible Report. It's something the American Bible Society puts out every year. It is PhD peer-reviewed research on how Americans are engaging with the Word of God. It's a powerful thing to look at. In the 2023 State of the Bible Report, researchers found that only 39% of Americans qualified as Bible users. You say, that's not too bad. 39%? That means that, that, what, four out of every 10 people are Bible users? Uh, That's surprising. Well, let me tell you what a Bible user is according to the American Bible Society. (coughs) To qualify as a Bible user, you had to acknowledge that you use the Bible three times or more per year. Per year. That's what a Bible user is in this statistical sample. Well, we need to thin that herd just a little bit, don't we? To say that four out of every 10 Americans uses the Bible three or more times per year, like that's because the ceiling fan blew it open on their coffee table. I mean, that's the level of Bible engagement we're talking about here. To thin the herd more, they said that 24% of Americans, one out of every four, use the Bible at least once per week outside of a church service. You say, okay, well, that's a little bit better. Hold on. Once per week outside of a church service. If your engagement with the word of God is once per week beyond the preacher saying, let's open to Jeremiah chapter eight, I would make the argument that you're not a Bible user. If that is the level of your Bible engagement, I would argue that that you're not really taking the time that it's necessary to become a student of the word of God, especially when we start to consider all the other things we spend our time on. All the other things that spend our time on. Let's, let's, Let's pry just a little. If you were to give up just 50% of your time on social media, or scrolling mindlessly, if you were to just give up half of that time and put it to work in the scriptures, I bet it would be shocking how much more we would learn about the things of God. Uh, Again, test yourself. Uh, Young people, you've got a a phone that uh, if it's an Apple product, it's got a thing called screen time. And screen time will tell you how much time you're spending in this app or that app or this category or that category. It'll tell you how long you're spending in those various things. Just test yourself and look and say, man, I spent, I spent eight hours last week on TikTok or seven hours last week on Instagram. Well, my Bible app was open for 30 minutes. That tells us something about our priorities and what truly matters to us. The word was exponentially more inaccessible in Jeremiah's time as it is in our time. 
Yet Jeremiah looks at the people and offers a scathing criticism of their ignorance. Today, we have access to the scriptures in all kinds of shapes and sizes. You can have it in print. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your iPad. You can have it on your Kindle. You can have the Bible read to you on audio Bibles. There are podcasts that feature daily Bible readings so that our auditory learners have access and can participate. Not only that, it's abundantly free. The, the, the free stuff that you have access to, free, trustworthy resources that help to explain the word of God. You have access to commentaries, concordances, cross-references. If you don't know what those things are, then you're probably not engaged in the Bible a whole lot. You can have the most famous Bible teachers alive today explain to you the scriptures. You can go back and listen to audio of famous Bible teachers and preachers from the last century. You can go back even further and read sermon manuscripts from some of the greatest preachers of the last 300 years. Free, without cost, other than time. For a relatively low cost, you can take classes online to help you understand the scriptures even better. Not to mention the fact that your local church Our church, Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church, has dedicated people leading and teaching small groups where you can gather with other believers and dig into the scriptures together. Again, as your pastor, I try to put stuff in front of you every single week that's profitable to you. And I do my very best to make sure that everything I put in front of you is as sound as as it can be. But here's the thing. Biblical literacy is kind of like exercise. We know there's different kinds of exercise, right? There's the exercise you pay for. Like you can go over to Planet Fitness and you can pay a monthly fee and you can have access to all that equipment and you could probably pay even more and have a personal trainer who can help you do all those sort of things. That may be helpful and profitable for some. There's plenty of people who do that. Some exercise is free. Getting up and walking around the block in your neighborhood is is free. Really, it doesn't cost a whole lot. It's a matter of getting up and and simply doing it. You've got to choose to engage in that work. You've got to choose to get off the couch and take the walk. Can't make you do it. Some days it may be harder than others, but it's still a choice to either do it or not do it. The information is here. It's available if you want to access it, but that's where the third warning comes in. Warning three And that's a warning against deceptive teachers. Jeremiah points out a significant problem in Jerusalem. There were scribes who were putting out bad information. What was a scribe? A scribe was was just another set of religious leaders in Jerusalem. We don't know precisely what their job was. It appears that they were Levites based on some things from 2 Chronicles 34. Very likely they were responsible for copying and teaching the scriptures. But Jeremiah says these scribes weren't very noble. Notice what they said. They stood up and they said, we are wise. Just a a good rule of thumb. If a Bible teacher stands up in front of you and says, you should listen to me because I'm very wise. Probably a good clue there. You probably are in the wrong place. Um, It's one thing if somebody says, you know, my pastor, my Sunday school teacher, my youth pastor is very wise. If somebody else says that, that's different. If the person teaching says, you should listen to me because I'm very wise, you're in the wrong place. So what are the scribes doing in their wisdom? Jeremiah says they're taking a lying pen to the paper. That means the scribes have some responsibility for the ignorance of the people. They're fueling the ignorance 
by contributing false teaching to the community. And here this warning is so important for us because of the proliferation of information in our day, there is ample opportunity for the wisdom of dishonest scribes to make its way into the heart of our lives. Because anybody with a keyboard now can be a publisher. Anybody with a camera can be a teacher. But let's be honest. There are some people with very large followings who are some of the most deceptive, false gospel preaching scribes around. I talked about this last week and we need the discernment to know the difference. It reminds me of a meme that makes its way around the internet from time to time. Abe Lincoln, do not believe everything you read on the internet because there's a picture with a quote next to it. He didn't say that. Of course, this applies to a whole host of things. Some, it took some of y'all too long to get that. <laughs> and if you still don't have it yet, we need to talk. <clears throat> this applies to a whole host of things. But if we're actually taking the time to be students of the word, then it's very easy to see, or if we aren't actually taking time to be students of the word, it's easy to see how we can become so loosey-goosey with bible sounding teaching out there that's not really sound or solid at all. And the scribes in Jeremiah's day were up for a rude awakening. In verse nine, it says, the wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is actually in them? I have to think about those people who would purposely lead folks astray with false gospels, false teaching, deceptive interpretations of scriptures. They will eventually reap what they sow. And even though the following today is vast and the internet swoons over their words, they will eventually reap what they sow. In spite of the time and space between us and Jeremiah's day, the relevancy of what he has to say to us is profound. All of these warnings that he has given to us taken as a whole, are very instructive for us. I believe that for those of us who are in Christ, I can't help but believe that, that we who are in Christ, we want to live abundant lives in Jesus. Uh, if you're in Christ, why would you not want to live an abundant life? Well, none of us would. You know, if, if, if I were to come to you privately and say, hey, I know you're a Christian, would you rather live a failed Christian life or an abundant Christian life? That's an easy survey question. 100% of the people are gonna answer, if they're in Christ, you know what, I don't wanna be a failure. I wanna live an abundant Christian life. 100% will answer in the affirmative. But this means we need to pay attention to these warnings because God is good and he has given us these warnings to help us avoid the pitfalls of disobedience in a very fallen world. Just like the driver is foolish for ignoring warning signs on the highway, we would be foolish to ignore these warning signs when they are given to us in such clear terms. We need to be warned against the subtlety of, of backsliding. There's no casting crown song called Slow Fade. It deals with the honest reality that we are far more prone to drift than we are to fall. We're not like that guy falling off the icy steps on his porch. We're like the guy on the hill who's sliding slowly downhill and not realizing it's happening. But when we fall, we gotta get up again. We don't just stay on the ground. We gotta get up again. That means we need to be good repenters. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the righteous may fall seven times, but rises again. Christian, if you are in Christ and you fall down, you gotta get up again. You can't keep wallowing around in the mess. You gotta get up again. <clears throat> but we also need to make sure we keep our sin list short. The Puritan William Bradshaw said, the Lord looks upon my sins. They are now before him. 
and we should never rest till we have by repentance moved him to blot them out. Yea, to this end, we should, call, we should ourselves call them to remembrance. For the more we remember them, the more God forgets them. The more we forget them, the more God remembers them. We need to also heed the warning of willful ignorance. We have many reasons today to ignore the word of God, but we have no excuses. We have many reasons, but no excuses. This generation has zero excuses. I hear of this all the time, where, uh, and particularly in our schools where, where kids come to school without a Bible, and man, we want to put a Bible in their hands. But listen, it's accessible even without a paper Bible now. We give a kid a Chromebook in a public school, guess what? He's got the Bible in 100 languages, right there, without a paper Bible. We need to have paper Bibles, don't get me wrong. But we have access galore. It's, it's unspeakable the amount of access that we have. But we find more value in mindlessly scrolling social media or changing channels on our televisions than often we do in opening the Bible. And then we need to heed the warning of deceptive teachers. For those of us who teach, whether it's Sunday school or in pulpits and things like that, we need to be mindful of the tendency to take the easy path, to make the hard things easy and the easy things hard. We need to be mindful of the fact that those among us who teach, we receive a stricter judgment. And for those of us who learn, we need to make sure that what we learn, we're learning from sources that are most trustworthy. We need to heed the warnings. I once heard the story of a family that kept their old lab out in the yard with one of those invisible fences. If you don't know how those work, as the animal gets closer to the boundary, it gets an electric shock. And I guess there's some dumb animals that like the electric shock and like to tempt their fate, I don't know. <clears throat> but when the animal gets too close to the, to the fence, to the boundary, it starts to beep. And so as the animal learns the consequences, it recognizes that the beeping is an alert to the pain that he's about to experience. Well, this old dog knew what the fence could do. But the dog, if, if he saw something outside the yard that he wanted, this dog would still go get it. And what the dog would do is he would back up as far away from the fence as he could, he would bare his teeth, and he would start to run towards the fence. Before he got to it, he would start to howl, and he would run right through the pain. The dog learned that if he ran far enough to the other side, that if he got out of the range of the fence, the pain would stop, and he could go where he wanted. That dog had learned that he could ignore the warning signs so that he could escape the fences in his life. Christians, we cannot ignore the warning signs because the dog could get out of reach of the fence, but we never get out of reach of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the warnings that you give us in your word. You don't leave us stranded, unaware, confused. You make it very clear. And so God, I pray that you would guard our hearts against backsliding. Lord, it is very easy to drift from where we need to be. It is very easy to go in the wrong direction. It is very easy to, it's, it's easy to fall. But Lord, for some reason, when it comes to the things of God, there's too many times that we like to stay falling. But you ask us to get up. You wanna even help us get up. 
And so I pray, God, that you would guard us against the, the real risk of sliding backwards. Father, I pray that you would also guard us against willful ignorance. Lord, where we just don't take the time to learn, to know what it is that you say. We, we have access, unparalleled access. But Lord, there's so many other things that call our attention and distract us. And whether it's scrolling through junk on social media, reading the news of, of just hour after hour, Lord, so many things that demand for our time that take us away from time that would be better spent considering your word. And Lord, we know that, that we have to go to work and we have to study and we have to do all the things that, that this world requires of us, but we still manage to find the leisure time to, to watch TikTok videos and Instagram reels. How much more profitable would it be for us to take those hours and put them to work for you? And likewise, Lord, we ask you to guard our hearts against the potential for, for deceptive teachers. Give us the discernment to know what's good and what's bad. Help us to know the difference between the true gospel and the false gospels. Lord, help us to listen to those who are, who are working for our good and for the good of our souls and not to those who are, have other motives and other things in mind. May we be people who heed these warnings and all the other warnings that are contained in your word. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.